This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That I'm joined on Football CFB by Stephen Caldwell. I've had Gary on before, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Who was the better player as a kid? You're Gary. Me. Always me. Through my whole career, of course I'm going to say that, but I think maybe some <laughs> others might disagree. But uh, yeah, we're uh, we're very close. We're just off the phone to him, actually. We were on our FaceTime there just now. We speak every single day, so uh, it's all good fun. Like We uh, we push each other on to have decent careers, so we... Uh, we were close, like I say, and we, we uh, were pleased with the careers that we had. Well, absolutely. Both your careers speak for themselves, as we'll come to, both international footballers as well, of course. But I want to start with what you're up to now, because since you've retired from football, you've done a wee bit of coaching, you've been involved in the, uh, involved in the business side of football, and you've also been a pundit. Just describe those experiences. Yeah, brilliant experiences, all of them in, in different forms really. I think when I first retired I got the chance to go and uh, work in the, the, the business side of football through Toronto FC, the team that I retired with in MLS. Their uh, parent company is someone called Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment who own the Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Raptors, uh, a few other teams and uh, I got the chance to go into the, the business side of things and learn you know, the the, the, uh, the numbers really, the, the, the ticket sales generating revenue through partnerships and community and all the different aspects of a football club run. So that was a great experience. Um, I also done a bit of broadcasting, like you said, which is, has been predominantly my main role for a number of years, uh, doing uh, Premier League, Champions League, World Cup 2018, Euro 2020, which obviously is going to be next summer now, uh, and, um, and MLS, where I, I call Canadian... Uh, teams like Vancouver Whitecaps, Toronto FC, Montreal Impact. I call the games on a regular basis. Uh, a bit of coaching as well with Canadian national team under John Herdman as an assistant coach, which has been great. Uh, and some business interests as well. I've started a podcast, Footy Talks with Stephen Cole. So I keep myself busy, as you can hear, um, fingering a few different pies and, and keep me kind of motivated to, to keep uh, like looking into other aspects of uh, how I can develop my life after football. But yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's all different. And, and I, I wouldn't say there's one that I love more than the other. I just like keeping them all going along. You know what it's like in the UK. There's always talk about the MLS and the standards improve and it's improving. What's your opinion, having called the games and played in the MLS in terms of the standard? Is it something you're seeing progressively improve year on year? Absolutely. It's, I'd say it's... Uh, it's developing and progressing more than any other league in the world, I would say. I mean, obviously, there's some way to go before it's up there with the major five leagues in the world or in Europe. Uh, but getting better all the time. I, came, I arrived in 13, 2013 to Toronto, and it was surprisingly good then. There were some very talented players that I'd never heard of and some really good teams. And uh, Obviously, the infrastructure of the league was still growing at that point. But since then, we've had... Oh, gosh knows, maybe 
six or seven expansion franchises. Most of them have hit the ground running. Most of them have, you know, great backing financially and uh, facility-wise. You know, custom-built soccer stadiums and uh, training grounds that are that are perfect for the league. And I think that it's it's, it's really making great strides. It's got a bit to go, like I said. You know, it always needs to get better. But when I look at where it stands compared to European leagues, I think that um, it's kind of getting close to the SPFL, Eredivisie, uh, Belgian first division. So, you know, you're, you're starting to see some real competition in MLS. And you have to remember it's a summer league. So there, it is a bit slower. It is a bit different. But um, there's a lot of travel. But there's some great things about MLS for sure. As you've said, so many great things. There's been great players that have came over over the years as well. And hopefully it'll only continue to grow because, as you've said, the scope is definitely there for it. To rewind back to yourself now, you started at Hutchison Vale, who obviously one of the most highly regarded youth teams in Scotland. What was it like coming through? And also, what was it like having a brother to, to sort of help drive you and, and drive him on during that time? Yeah, it was it was terrific having Gary. I think Gary's about 18, 19 months younger than me, so he was always kind of behind me in terms of, you know, steps in, in youth career and then into professional career. And so I think it really helped drive him on. It gave me competition. It gave me a partner to practice things with. We were always together. We were always uh, sharing the same friends. And, and so we pushed each other to be better players and, 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 and better professionals, I think. Um, I, I actually started at a club in Falkirk called North Broomish Colts, which was when I was nine, maybe I was ten. Gary was probably eight, so we played in the same team way back then. Gary was more of a sub because he was about three years younger than, than the other players in the team. But um, that was a great experience. And then when I wanted to kind of up my uh, my competition, I went to Hutchie Vale, uh, played with some great players there. Michael Stewart uh, played for Man United, of course, and Hearts and Scotland was, was there with me. Uh, Ian Murray was there with me, Rangers and, and Hibernian and... Uh, and of course, Scotland. So, you know, when you think of like, I think that was it. Maybe we had one more, but when you think of three full Scottish internationals uh, in that U13 team, it, it kind of shows you how good we were. We had some other great players as well. So, a great experience to be involved uh, with Hutchie Vale, a really top club, top boys club, did things properly and kind of set me on the road towards professional football. I've got to ask you the obvious question when you mentioned Michael Stewart. See, as a kid, was he that opinionated back then? <laughs> He's some man. I've not seen Mikey for years and years. Um, I can't remember the last time i seen Michael. It was a long time ago, but we were really close that season and that time because I think we were two of the better players in Scotland. We, we went to a few of the same clubs in England and, you know, we, 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 we certainly spent some time together. And he was... It, Mikey's Mikey. He's a great guy. When you know him, you know what you get. He never shirks anything, Michael. He'll tell you how it is. He was like that back then. He really was. And uh, and we had a good friendship. But he was uh, he was a guy who, you know, is a little bit polarising. Some people love him and some people hate him. But he's certainly a friend of mine. In terms of going down to England, you talked about the fact Michael went to Manchester United. You went to Newcastle United. How did that move come about? And were you nervous at all about moving down south so young? Yeah, I mean, I was I was quite a shy kid, actually. I was someone that, that uh, you know, loved being at home and, 
and liked, obviously, loved my parents and, and didn't really want to kind of leave home. But I, I felt it was the best place for me to be for the development of my career. Um, I first went to Newcastle when I was 12, I think. And it was the first English club that I, I visited. And so there was always that bond there. I, I visited others, Manchester United being one of them, Aston Villa, uh, Chelsea. I'd sort of spent some time with six or seven at least. And I just kept going back to Newcastle and kept thinking, uh, you know, Newcastle was probably the place for me if I chose England. Uh, I was also playing with Rangers at the time. So I was quite close to signing with Rangers. I think they were probably the closest Scottish club that, that I might have went to. But there was that burning desire to play in the English Premier League. And um, and Newcastle was just, a, I mean, it was such an exciting place back then. You kind of look back and go, well, you know, if you can choose Chelsea or Man U or Newcastle, you'd probably think, someone with the talent might go for Chelsea or Man U these days. But back then, Newcastle were the team, one of the one of the top teams. Man U, of course, are always Man U, but Newcastle were a top, top team. And I just loved it there. And I, I wanted to go there and, and, and see how I could uh, develop it at, at that team. I've got to ask you about Sir Bobby Robson. Just describe what he was like, because a true legend of football and so sadly missed by so many. Yeah, sadly missed. Uh, I still think about him a lot. I did a, an Instagram live with, with a good friend of mine who's a big Newcastle supporter and has a good following. And we did it the other week. We, of course, talked about Sir Bobby. There's just so many different stories that you think about through the years. And and Bobby and I clashed quite a bit because, you know, I wanted to play more. And I was I was quite a driven lad. I was always in his room asking why I wasn't playing and having them explain it to me. And, been a, a general nuisance to be honest and um, and he was always gracious with his time he treated everybody the same he gave everybody their time and and tried to explain himself tried to be as honest as any manager can be and also gave me some great moments gave, you know he gave me my my debut so I have many things to thank the man for I just wanted to play every week and he has to make a decision between 20 odd players who plays and unfortunately then didn't feel I was in the top 11 and you know, I've no no uh, animosity towards him because of that. In fact, I only have great memories, and uh, unfortunately, he's not with us because he's such a great footballer mind and a guy who who gave so many people so much, especially in that period he was managing Newcastle. In terms of Newcastle, see when you start training with the first team, what's it like coming up against Alan Shearer and training? Because People obviously talk about what he does on the field for Newcastle, but when you're coming up against him in training, I imagine he's just as competitive. Yeah, very competitive. Uh, you know, doesn't give you an inch, doesn't allow, doesn't matter if you're 17, 18 or 35, he'll, he'll treat you the same and works the way that he plays. You know, these guys, Alan Shearer, Gary Speed, Warren Barton, Che Given, uh, Rob Lee, uh, I could go on and on. Steve Harper, these guys taught me what it was to be a true professional, how you conduct yourself as a as a, a, a football player, how you come into training, how you train every day, how you look, how you eat, how you behave on and off the field. And so I had a great education when it came to that stuff. And, and Alan was one of them. He was a captain. He was a guy who who was very competitive, who was so consistent. You know, he did the same things. He he practiced his penalties every Friday. You know, he, he, he practiced his shooting three, four days a week. He had his routines and his way of doing things. So there was there was no coincidence that he was so consistent and so successful because he worked so hard. And that's the, the main thing that I took from, from Alan, that 
if you work hard and you give your best, then you'll maximise the talent that you have, whatever that may be. And so that, that was always a motto for me throughout my career. Um, privileged to have played alongside them and also privileged to have played against them in a competitive game when I went to Sunderland, I played against them twice and and, and they were tough games as well because, uh, you know, again, it wasn't a, there was no inch given because he had known me in the past and I'd been his teammate. He just treated me like any other player and wanted to score against me and trample over the top of me if he could. Other than Shearer, who were the other big characters in that dressing room when you went in there? Yeah, I've just mentioned them really. I mean, Gary Speed is, is a major influence on my life. Uh, sadly, not with us, of course, these days, but just a, a brilliant guy, a brilliant professional, um, a guy who really gelled that squad together that, that, that brought so many people from different walks of life and, and connected them because everyone loved Speedo and everyone respected Speedo and everyone looked up to him. So, um, you know, he was he was very much the glue of that squad. Um, you know, Shea Given, Steve Harper was close with the goalkeepers, played near them. Warren Barton is still a very good friend of mine, became probably closer through the years, Warren and I, but, but we, were, we were close back then as well. And then there was a younger crew, the Bellamy's, the Dyers, the Genesis, uh, you know, Titus Bramble, these guys who, who kind of hang around. Nobby Solano is still a very good friend of mine, Norberto Solano and I still keep in touch. Um, I could go on and on. It's, uh, you know, as things come full circle and, and years and years pass, you realise that, that the bonds that you forged back then and throughout your career are, are really, really important, especially in this unprecedented times where you're connecting with people that, that you learn from and that you shared great times with and that you, 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 know, you went through some tough times with as well because that's the key to any successful team. It's the, the, the relationships that are harvested during the times that are, that are built is what makes playing football so important. Absolutely, and you mentioned those quality players, the quality of that group. What was it like playing at St James's Park alongside those players and with the crowd behind you? Because, as you rightly said at the start of this, back then Newcastle were finishing third, finishing fifth. They were a top, top side. They weren't near the relegation zone. They were always challenging for Europe. Yeah, I always say, I, I never like put a marker at any of my clubs, you know, that club was better, this club was worse. I mean, I played for Newcastle, Sunderland, Leeds, uh, Burnley, you know, Birmingham. I've played for some of the biggest clubs in, in English football and I'm very fortunate and, and privileged that I got to do that. But if I could play one last game, it would be at St. James's Park. It really would. It was, And I feel like I've been there for most of the, the biggest nights in the... The, this kind of history or recent history of the club. You know, I was there as a as a sort of schoolboy kit man for the Man United Newcastle game, where unfortunately they broke our hearts. Cantona scored the, the late goal, and I remember the atmosphere. I remember the first thirty minutes. We absolutely battered them. Schmeichel was on fire, and I was there and I was sitting beside the bench, and I felt very much part of it. The first team were great with me back then, even when I was just 15, 14, 15 years old. And I was there for the Barcelona game where Espria scored the hat-trick. I was in the stands and I was closer to that first team and thinking, I'm nearly on that park. And, and then I was there on the pitch on a number of different times, good and bad. You know, I played in a, a time where Derby, the one where, where Quinn scored an amazing header. I was right behind it and I saw it go into the net and broke her hearts. And 
uh, you know, before that game, just before kickoff, you couldn't hear yourself think, never mind your partner speak, who was five yards away from you. It was so loud. So some amazing memories, some amazing nights at St. James's Park. I'm, I'm glad I got to wear the black and white and represent Newcastle. And it's it's a, a magical place. When when the, the development came and the new roof came on, it became 52,000. It's, it's one of the loudest stadiums you can ever go to. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful that real successful times can come back for Newcastle because people that don't know younger people and, and maybe people that are from different countries that don't know the potential of this club with a hopeful takeover that's coming are going to see it because it's it could be one of the biggest and it's going to be such an exciting place to, to watch games. Absolutely. And another thing I want to touch on with you, Stephen, is the fact that what I really admire about you is the fact that when you were a young player, you were willing to go out and loan and develop. And that's something that young players in the Premier League, whether it's them, whether it's the clubs, I don't know. And maybe aren't willing to do so much anymore, but you had spells at Blackpool, spells at Bradford as well. What did you learn from those spells? I know you had a spell at Leeds, but that was a different kind of loan spell in the sense that they were a, a Premier League established side. But with Blackpool and Bradford, what did you learn there? And do you feel that that helped prepare you for getting into that Newcastle team on a more regular basis? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I learned so much. The simple answer is I learned so much. And, you know, the first time that, I almost went alone. It was actually going to be to Dundee United. I wanted to go up to Scotland and uh, I was close to agreeing that. And for whatever reason, it, it never happened. And then, you know, I ended up at Blackpool and they were in League One. And for me, it was so exciting. I, I can remember it vividly. I was, you know, in the, in the first team. I knew I was going to play a real professional game. Steve McMahon, the Liverpool legend, was my, uh, was my boss. Um, Great club, great people, great players in that team. Um, and I went there for a month, had a brilliant spell. I, I love my football, scored a goal, felt like a, a pro, like I said, for the first time. And uh, I actually captained the team in the last game. He gave me the, Steve gave me the armband, which was an amazing honour. I couldn't believe it. I was only 19 years old, so it was, it was brilliant. And then, you know, thankfully for me, I kind of proved that I was better than League One standard, and, and so that was important. You go there and you you do well, and people think you're higher up. And then I got the move to Bradford to go and play in the Championship. And my first, I went two separate months to Bradford. People don't really know this. It was crazy because I went the first month under Jim Jeffries, and I get there and it was a bit fractured. They were in a tough little run. Um, I love Jim Jeffries. I've got so much respect for him. He gave me that opportunity, but then he got sacked after a couple of games. So I found myself on loan with a team with a manager and a lot of instability and kind of different factions in the boardroom and different factions in the, in, on the squad that were pulling in different directions. So I, I kind of learned the politics and the situation of football there at Bradford. And Nicky Laws came in and then he, he didn't want me to stay and then he asked me to come back. And I went back because I wanted to experience it again and see what it was like. So it was a few days where the loan ended and I ended up going on a new loan, but a great experience to to play at that level of football, to understand the intricacies of what happened at clubs and to play under different managers with different philosophies and, and start to shape my own opinion of what kind of player I wanted to be when I became a regular first-team uh, footballer. In terms of getting into that first-team regularly, you're getting some games again in the, in the Premier League for Newcastle. 
Then the opportunity comes to go to Leeds United on loan, another juggernaut of a club along with Newcastle. What excited you about Leeds at that time? Because they were struggling at that time, but Leeds United, as I say, are still a juggernaut now. Yeah, a, a massive club. And I just, uh, you know, it was a huge club. I, I got the chance to go. I nearly went to Everton in that window. Um, David Moyes was keen on taking me there. And Newcastle were... I felt were being unrealistic. I wasn't playing and, and they were asking for some money and Everton didn't want to pay it. And I was furious because it would have been a great move for me. And I thought my chance had gone and, that uh, you know, I was going to end up just seeing it the last few months of my Newcastle career on the bench or on the sidelines. And then Leeds came on deadline day. Great move to a club like that, playing in the Premier League. Uh, and it happened. I, I, I kind of forced it through with Newcastle. And, oh, what an experience. I mean, sadly, we, we got relegated, but another phenomenal place to play You're in front of the fans. Just exceptional. Great, great moments there as well. Played every single week, again, at a higher level and, and felt the, the, the enjoyment of that. Had some great games, had some not-so-great games, you know, was, was learning along the way. Um, and like I said, was bitterly disappointed like everyone else that we unfortunately went down, but... Um, but a, a, a brilliant time for me, Mark Viduka, Alan Smith, Gary Kelly, Ian Hart, uh, Dominic Matteo, Seth Johnson, like some of the names, some of the guys, Steve McPhail, could go on and on. The guys that were in that dressing room were again a big influence on me. I was 20-ish by this point, 23, 24, but still a huge influence on me and on the dynamic of teams and how you can you can be a good teammate and be a good leader within that dynamic, different dynamics. And I think that these experiences were a massive part of the, the kind of captain and the player that I became. When it comes to the end at Newcastle, um, there's interest in you from, from various clubs. Ultimately, in the end, you make the decision to, to join Sunderland, which must have been very bold because you know that rivalry's massive. Yeah, I'd signed for Sunderland before I went to Leeds. So I signed a pre-contract um, with Sunderland. Mick, Mick was on the phone, Mick McCarthy. And Mick's a great guy, persuasive guy. And, I, I, you know, I love football in the Northeast. Sunderland are a big club. I wanted to play, so I probably thought, right, maybe my moves to the championship to make sure I'm going to get a regular game. So I signed a pre-contract in the January. And I was trying to force through a loan move to Sunderland. And, again, there was some difficulties there. And... And so when I went to Leeds, it was kind of weird because I was a Newcastle player. I was going to Sunderland this summer and I was playing for Leeds. So uh, there was a lot a lot going on. But um, yeah, I, I would be lying if I said I could, I, I'm really clear on how I made that decision. I think it was purely football. I think I loved the area and, I, and it was a big club. Sunderland were a great club, big club who were pushing for promotion that year. So it might even have been I was moving to a Premier League team, but I knew I could go and help them, and I knew how much Mick wanted me to be there, which felt good at the time as I was kind of being pushed it a little bit with, with Sir Bobby and, and at Newcastle. So yeah, it was there was tough moments, you know, trying to make myself, you know, uh, become known to my new fans and and to show them that I cared and that you know I was going to wear the red and white stripe shirt with as much passion as I did the the black and white shirt. So that was kind of tough at the start, but I think they took to me pretty, pretty quickly and knew what I was all about. And then the other side understood that I wanted to play football. So 
I think not being a Geordie was a big part of that. I think if you're a Geordie or, or you know, you're from the Northeast, then these things can become way more complicated. And I was always just honest, look, I just want to play football and I wish it was at Newcastle, but it wasn't going to be in. It's going to be another great club like Sunderland. And I never really had any issues with it. Nobody gave me too big a problem. See, that's refreshing to hear. And I want to ask you about Mick McCarthy because that season in the Championship, you win the Championship. I want to know what makes him such a top manager because he's had a career at the top level. Obviously, he, did a great, he was doing a great job with Ireland. I know that's been cut short because of the situation we're in now and legalities of contracts, etc. But... What a career he's had. Just what makes him such a, a top manager? Uh, he, what you see is what you get with Mick. He's honest and open and he's a brilliant man manager. And so he, he just brings a clarity to everything that he does. You know what he wants because, you know, he doesn't beat about the bush. I think a lot of times with, with less successful managers, players get to a point where they're actually unsure about what's expected of them and what role they're supposed to play. Well, with Mick, there was none of that. You knew what your role was. You knew what your role was on the field, off the field, and you knew where you, you, you know, you you fit into the team, and that's what I love so much about him. And he was a hard man to play for. He was certainly a very hard manager to be a centre half in his team because he was tough on centre halves. And you can ask anybody, you know, um, that played under Mick. He was he was tough on centre halves, but I loved that, and I I totally respected Mick. We had some. Some uh, run-ins and some moments, and but there was never any grudges. They were never remembered. We just moved forward, and um, you know we've, we've we've still got a strong relationship to this day. He's a guy that I know I can even still rely on at this moment, and he knows he can rely on me. With Gary Breen, that partnership was very good. What made that so strong? Uh, different abilities and different uh, strengths and weaknesses. Gary Breen is a, a phenomenal player, an actually underrated football player, very good in the ball, quick, uh, reads the game well, was, was really good, um, was, was maybe a bit less physical at that time in the championship for sure, and I, I brought that physicality, I brought that aggression. Um, we, we were good friends, we had great relationship, we, we built on our partnership, it never just kind of came for day one, it took some time to develop and understand how we wanted to play, and I think we brought the best in each other. And um, I had utmost respect for Breeny, he was a captain, and of course, I have respect for all my teammates. But you know, he knew I was a guy that would would keep him honest as well and keep on at him. I was never kind of scared to, to shout at more senior pros and to, to keep them honest. So that, that's what I think the key was to our partnership and our relationship. There was a real honesty there and a, a, a nice blend of strengths that allowed us to be like just a really great partnership. I've also got to ask you, talk me through that goal against Leicester. Oh, it was phenomenal. One of the biggest moments in my career. Uh, you know, f- real hard fight for, for promotion that year with Ipswich and Wigan. And it was dragging along. And we never really found our best form until the turn of the year. And then we start getting on this roll and we, we really get it working along. And, and it, you know, it sort of comes to this Leicester game where we're at the top of the league and we needed to win. And I think Leicester were mid-table at the time. But there's some brilliant players. And we, we never played well that day. We had we had a really poor game. Goalkeeper made some good saves for us. And then it's one each corner comes in and I managed to get my head on it and put it in the back of the net. And just at the time, relief that we went into Leeds 
panic that we had 20 minutes to go and we had to make sure we didn't concede another goal. Uh, final whistle goes, we get into the changing room and one of my, my favourite moments in football was in that changing room, waiting on the, the Leeds, Ipswich were playing Leeds at Ellen Road, ironically, and Leeds managed to draw, I think it was one each whip switch, and we were confirmed as, as going up. And uh, the emotion in that changing room and the, the five or six minutes that felt like that we spent there, I don't know how, again, time kind of stops and it also goes really fast when you have moments like this. So, uh, you know, I don't know how long it was, but just hugging everyone, special moment to finally achieve something and to, to be back in the Premier League. See, when you win the championship and you talk about achieving something there, is that when, does your mind automatically kind of go back to yourself as a kid growing up, just dreaming of getting your hands on a trophy as a professional? Yeah, because people don't realise, like, you know, fans think about uh, success or trophies as, like, the top level FA Cup and Premier League and Scottish Premier League and Champions League, you know, these things. And, of course, it's a pinnacle of football, but... There's very few people that get to experience that. And, and when you win with a team, it doesn't actually matter if you win the conference or you win the League Two or whatever you win is really special because you go through this year of ups and downs and highs and lows. And, you know, you think back to the, the blood, sweat and tears that you put into that campaign. And when it when it ends in success, it's it's really special. The chemistry, the... The, the togetherness, the, the skill, whatever it takes to get it done becomes really apparent. And so, yeah, that, that, that was a big thing for me that I've took with me throughout my career. Winning is hard. Winning is hard everywhere. Um, it's, it doesn't matter at what level. And, and for me, that first title, uh, and we picked up the title, and I think that's important as well because you know we'll get to it more, I'm sure, in a minute or two, but... I did it again with Burnley, but it was through the playoffs, which was another extremely special experience. But winning the league, picking up that trophy, having that kind of celebration day at Stadium of Light where there was 49,000 people there and, you know, we got presented with a trophy and we had a parade around the field and scarves and hats and all the stupid stuff that you put on and you, you, you celebrate with the fans. And then the open-top bus tour is, is like, it's everything to, to a professional football player and uh to do it with a club like Sunderland, for me, was really special. Definitely a special moment to win that with any club, but with a club like Sunderland and their fan base, absolutely, makes it even more special because of the turnout, the passion, as we've talked about there. Now, I don't want to put you in the spot with this, but I've got to ask the question. When the club goes into the Premier League, what what didn't work that season? Because obviously the club came straight back down. What, what was it that went, went wrong? Uh, quite a number of things, and this is only my opinion. Uh, but I, I think that we we never had a great amount of money, and we went and tried to sign a lot of players rather than three, two or three, one or two, whatever the number was, real top quality guys. And I think we affected the camaraderie of the squad, which was our biggest strength. The championship season, I think we we kind of. Um, we, we, we underestimated the impact that certain guys had on the group um, and, and so they were maybe marginalised or put up for another player coming in not necessarily better in my opinion again and, and so there was a lot of uncertainty and people when, people when football players are uncertain they get selfish and when football players get selfish it's tough for a team there's no real harmony there it, it, it affects 
performance, in my opinion. And so uh, that sort of happened that year. And then confidence plays a big part in it. You know, you go along, you start the season with such optimism. It doesn't go so well. The manager has to then keep chopping and changing because he's trying to find a winning team. And that doesn't help with uncertainty as well. And so it's a big vicious circle uh, where we just ultimately didn't have enough quality and didn't win enough games. And it was a tough year to go through, but a real learning experience again. How people react under pressure when the chips are down, when you're playing in a stadium like that. And, you know, the, unfortunately, there was times where we're pretty much getting booed with every touch by our home fans. You know, there were moments like that or a fan came on the field and he, he tried to attack Kelvin Davies in the goal after he conceded a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a poor goal at, at, against Portsmouth. And you come at the stadium and there's a few thousand waiting there to, to get you a bit of stick. The Northeast is the best place to play in the world and it's the worst place to play in the world, depending on how things are going. So I learned a lot about myself. I, I learned a lot about, uh, again, leadership and how you, you remain dignified and strong and respectful through that while trying to, to be honest and truthful with people. Um, and I think that that experience was just as important as the one before, where the season before where we won the, the championship. When the club gets down, it's inevitable that there's going to be another change of manager not too long into that. Roy Keane comes into Sunderland. I know you only worked with him for a short period and we're going to come to the time at Burnley, but what was Roy like? Because as a player, he was no holds barred. Is that the way he was when he came into Sunderland? Yeah, at the start, he was quite um, quite reserved and you know took his time a little bit. And then more and more, he started to see his personality. And yeah, like, you know, there's... Roy's like a guy who just is very um, impulsive <laughs> and he makes decisions and, uh, he, you know, he sticks by them, of course. He's, we can see it in his punditry now. We, we saw it on the field. It really worked on the field for me. It was the way he led and, and, and he was an exceptional player. He was still training with us sometimes and could still play even although his, his, his hips were, were hurting and he had retired with that. But... Unfortunately, you just can't be that impulsive when you're a manager. You can't be that black and white and you can't go around pissing people off. And and for me, that's what he did. He, he was very, um, he was, he was, he, he made decisions on a whim and he became obsessed with things that, that, that maybe were down the pecking order of things that he should focus on. So, I never had a great time with him, and there was times when it was fine. I was a captain when he got there. I was injured, which wasn't great, um, with a knee injury. And then I got in the team, and then I picked up a little strain. And so, yeah, he probably looks back and goes, well, you know, he never performed for me. But I, I thought I had some good moments, and I thought it was going to be fine. And then in the end, again, on a whim, it was decided that Roy wanted me to leave. So be it. They went on to have great success that season. They won the championship. He signed some brilliant players. I think Johnny Evans ended up playing half that season at centre-half. So, you know, if he ever listens to this, he'll probably go, well, you know, I did what I had to do. And that's football sometimes, you know, that there's clashes, there's there's things that happen, you know, there's there's no grudges for me in football. You, you move on, you accept that it's a different era, a different time, and you go and you try and find your next home. And thankfully for me, I really found my next home in Burnley. You, you mentioned the fact your next home is Burnley. You go there... To be honest with you, it's not controversial me saying this. When you go to Burnley, they weren't a club who many would have put a bet on to get to the Premier League. 
but you go there, you you, you get into a Burnley team um, that's, that that gradually is improving. Owen Coyle then comes into that. I recently have interviewed Graham Alexander. I've interviewed Jerry Rodriguez. I've interviewed um, Steve Davis, obviously a coach. And every single one of them says the same thing about that team Owen Coyle built that championship season. They always say, if you ask any of the players in that team, they'll tell you they've never been in a better dressing room. Would you go along with that as well? Yes. Uh, brilliant. Brilliant people. Brilliant dressing room. Um, the start of that, I just want to touch on this. So, you know, I was leaving. He wanted me out. Roy wanted me out. I was leaving Sunderland. But I just, it, there was something about moving that was not right for me. And so I was trying to wait in the right scenario. And it happened right at deadline day where I almost couldn't say no. Things had just aligned. The money was right. The term was right. You know, I, I was going to play. And I went to, to Burnley. And I woke up early that next morning in the northeast and I had to drive to the northwest to go to training. And when I was arriving into Burnley, I had a feeling, uh, okay, my career's took a, a bit of a downward turn. And, you know, I, I'm just, I've left a big club like Sunderland and I'm joining this club, Burnley, and I don't know too much about it. And I've got a guy in Steve Cotterell who's desperate for me to be there. And, you know, I, I sort of had a, a, a sense of negativity about me. And I'll never forget it because I'm glad that I went through it and it told me a lot about the person that I am, that that was the last time I felt it, even in the bad times, even when we were in the middle of that 17-game winless streak when I arrived. And we looked like we might even get relegated to the championship that year into the League One. I stayed positive and stayed strong and, and I, I believed in the vision that Steve had. I then believed in what Owen took over from Steve, the qualities that Steve had put into a squad and then Owen's special little touches, his, his man management, his way of doing things. And then I could feel the momentum and I could feel the big bus chugging along and I, and I thought, wow, this is going to be better than anything else, you know? And, and again, you know, promotions are great. But when you think about getting promoted and walking the steps at Wembley under own coil for Burnley and taking them back to Premier League with that team, with that club, it's hard to think of a better moment. It's hard to 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 say that anything was more special than that because it was it was the pinnacle. And and it was all down to what Owen had did. It was all down to the football club, it was all down to people that Owen had brought in, that Steve had brought in, because he has to be given respect for this. And the way that Owen got the best out of these players, you know, Graham Alexander, captain, older than me, a guy who gave everything on the field, was just a brilliant person, brilliant leader. He was under me. You know, I had Michael Duff, I had Stevie Jordan. I'm the captain of these guys. So, you know, the way that I led with these guys was that everyone had a voice, everyone had an opinion. Let's share in this dressing room, let's bring an accountability and a an honestness to everything that we do and let's get the best out of each other. And it was a, it was a great place to be because everybody was a man and everybody just accepted the, the role that they played and how they could inspire each other to be better. And we, we achieved the unthinkable. We got back to the Premier League. You're a very competitive guy. So I'm going to ask you a question that I've been teed up by a few others. Um, did you ever have to bring in the iron brewing cakes in training too often? <laughs> not too often but I certainly did it a few times yeah um, I would find a way to make sure I wasn't in the bottom five as much as I could through through hook or by crook as they say um, but yeah I, another uh, 
I'm sure everyone else has told the story, but you know, the cakes and the, the iron brews, the juices was just a genius little own thing, you know? And it wouldn't have worked any other club, any other time, with any other group of players, just worked with us, you know? And we never took our tel- ourselves too seriously. That That's the, the big thing there. And include the gaffer in that. You know, we, we, we just, we were ourselves. We were proud. We were, we were almost like a very reserved version of like the crazy gang in terms of like, we were so comfortable in our own skin. You know, we, we, we never did mad things like them, but we were, we were like the modern version of them and that we just, we did the cakes and the iron brews and we, we did our five sides and we did our little skills. Like we had our set routines that we stuck to and we knew what we were good at and we knew that people did not like coming to Turf Moor to play against us because they knew what they were going to get. We were unpol- unapologetic. We just gave you it from the start to the finish and we believed we could beat anybody and we proved it. We beat everybody at Turf Moor. We beat Man United. We beat Arsenal. We beat we beat everybody at one stage or another in, in the two or three years that Owen was there. And uh, great times with great people that I cherish fondly. One of the things for me that sums up that team in that spirit is you've talked, everyone I've spoken to is talking about the camaraderie of the dressing room, but see when I spoke to Graham Alexander, he said something that I thought summed up the real genuine unity of that team. Yeah. He said, when we were into the Premier League, Stephen was injured and... He said he was a captain and I got a captain the team got onto the pitch in the Premier League. He said, and although I was proud, I felt a bit guilty because he should have been there. I mean, that just sums it up because you know what football's like with characters, the selfish nature that can come into football. For him saying that, I thought it was just summed up the genuine nature of the relationship between the group. Yeah, it sums up the man, Graham Alexander, a very, very close friend of mine, you know, a brilliant guy, a, a team player, out-and-out team player. And and this is the kind of leaders that are exceptional to me. You know, guys like Graham Alexander. You think Graham Alexander needs to wear an armband to, to be a leader, to be a captain? No. Like, there's many games that I, uh, that I would be wearing the armband and Graham's playing in that team, but he's still a leader. He's still an influence. And he's still a guy that I lean on every single day when I was there and that I respected, and everybody else in that dressing room expect, uh, respected as well, by the way. So, you know, that's what true leadership is. It's not about being the one at the front of the line. It's about having empathy and, and feelings for your mates. He you knew what I was going through. I was injured. I was really devastated because I was in really, really good form then. It was the, the pinnacle of my career, and I watched three quarters that season for the sidelines. So, um, yeah, like, it made me a bit emotional when you were saying that there because I've never heard them say that before, but it just tells you what kind of guy he is. And uh, I'm, I'm so pleased that I got to spend so many, so much time with him and to learn from him. And, and uh, you know, I watch his managerial career fondly and I do think he's going to be an exceptional manager as the years go on. In terms of getting to the Premier League, you, you talked about the injuries that you had, um, having to try and overcome those being on the sidelines when the club are in the Premier League at times, how frustrating is that? Because you were such a big part of getting there. You must have been desperate to get back. And sometimes, did you maybe push yourself even too hard to just try and get back because you were desperate to? Um, a brilliant question. So it was a debilitating thing that I had. It was like something called osteitis pubis, which is a inflammation in the pubic bone. And... Um, I went away, played 60, 58 games, 59 games, 
the, the, the playoff winning season before. And I went my first run in Florida two or three weeks later and um, I felt this kind of burning in my, you know, my groin area, my pelvis. I could be all right, get to training. Ah, it's not great when I strike a ball, but, you know, I'll be all right. And the gaffer was great with me. Take a day off, do this, do that. And then I went to Norway with Scotland and I, I tore my stomach muscle. So I'm trying to come back for that and I need an injection and eventually I, I, I rupture my groin, I, I, I tear my adductor. And so, you know, there's these moments where I'm trying to get back. Of course, I want to be out there for my team. I'm pushing myself, I'm playing an injection, I'm playing under pain just to be out in the field. But I knew there was something up. And in the end, I had to just accept, right, this is three, four months and I need to change my body and I need to get back to you know, regularly playing by by going through a regimented stretching program and a brilliant, you know, uh, physio program from Andy Mitchell, who was a sensational physio at the time. Him and I, Andy Mitchell would call me three, four times. He knew I was low. I was in a dark place because didn't know I couldn't get out of bed. I had to roll over. Couldn't put a sock on. Had to sit down because this is like a really horrible thing. I, you'll ask any guy that's ever had it. It's it's. It's one of the worst things you can go through because you don't know what's going on. You don't know why. And there's no real quick fix. You need to go through this stretching. We decided the stretching program to get better. And he'd be on the phone at me at 10 p.m. at night because he knew I was having tough times. And again, that's the spirit of that team was not just the, the guys on the field. It was the coaching staff. It was the physios. It was upstairs. It was just a great club. Um, and there were some bad moments. But I was still the club captain of that team. And I had to make sure that I left that at the side when I came into that dressing room when I was amongst the guys they could not be affected by my disappointment they had to know that I was there for them and that I would try and help some of the guys that had played in the Premier League before or bring the influence that I had and the, the experiences and the um, yeah the, the the things that I'd, I'd seen through the years to to try and support them um, and so that's what I did I tried to be the best captain I could be from the sidelines, but it's not the same as being out there in the field. That's very true. And the other obvious question about that season at Burnley, when, when Owen leaves and is replaced by Brian Laws, it affects the team as it naturally can whenever a manager leaves. Now, this is a question that I'm asking only and purely from the outside looking in. So I could be totally wrong here. You can feel free to correct me. But what I thought at the time, watching that Burnley team, Owen Coyle's a very bubbly, chirpy character. Brian Laws, to me, seemed like a different character. I could be wrong there. Did that affect the group in any way, just the, the, the quick change? Yeah, big time. Biggest chalk and cheese, I call it, between Brian and, and Owen. And, uh, you know, it's no disrespect to Brian. He was just different. And to me, the, the, the board of directors upstairs should have picked a guy that was similar to Owen in philosophy and mindset and try and keep the thing going. To me, they should have picked Steve Davis, who was a caretaker for a game or two. He was a guy that would have took the thing on, more than capable of being the manager, and we should have uh, we should have went ahead with Steve. But Brian came in. He came in with experience, with a reputation, and he had his own way of doing things. And he felt that the way to do it was to be tough to beat and to be a bit tighter and to, to hang in the games. And Owen had told us for two years, go take the game to them and you're better than them. And, you know, if you're at your best, you'll beat them, whoever we played. 
So you can imagine how that what that does to the mindset of players. Now Brian's saying, just stay in the game. Let's see if we can get to the 70th minute and, you know, this kind of thing. And so, again, I, I hope I'm not being too disrespectful of Brian. Everyone has different philosophies. And Brian had great success at different stages of his, his managerial career. But he did not suit that group of players. And so it was really hard to kind of manage the message. Again, you, you, a football player is loyal to his football club. A captain has a duty to the club. And, and Brian's the new leader of that club. And so it was my duty to try and manage that within the dressing room. But there was a lot of players going, you know, what the F is he saying? What's going on here? This is, this is hopeless. And I'm the one that's trying to manage it and make it right. So it was, it was a tough time. Again, doing that for the sidelines as well, which is really hard. And then when I got fit, I wanted to be in sooner than Brian put me in. He was reluctant to put me in there. And I think that I deserve to be in quicker. Of course, players had came in by that point, players that he had brought in. So he probably felt a, a, a loyalty towards them. But yeah, we, we didn't we didn't have any real arguments, Brian and I. We were respectful to each other, but we weren't. Uh, you know, it was it was the beginning of the end when he got the job at Burnley for me at that club. You mentioned the fact it's the beginning of the end. The next club is Wigan. How does that move come about? Teaming up with Gary, what was that like as well? I know obviously he was down at Newcastle when you were younger, but both established international players getting together at Wigan. What was that like? Uh, it was brilliant. It was um, it was a tough summer for me because I, you know, I left Burnley and I'd played limited games because of my injuries. And I thought I would go into that summer and get a club and I didn't get a club easily. I nearly went to Leeds, back to Leeds. Uh, I almost went to Alan Irvine at Sheffield Wednesday, but it was in League One and it was a great club, but I was reluctant to go down a level. And eventually, sort of late July, I'm going, okay, I need a job, like, quickly. Um, and I got a chance through Gary, really, through his connections, Roberto. Gary was injured, so that was a positive for me. But through his connections uh, as being the club captain at Wigan, Roberto said, well, you know, come in and, and train for a week and we can have a look, see how your fitness is and stuff like that. And it worked out. He, he wanted to sign me in a short-term deal and it, it was perfect for everybody. You know, I got to play some games. I got to learn a new philosophy in the game through the time I spent with Roberto Martinez. Just an amazing guy, a guy who would always share his time when it came to football and how his philosophy. So we had some great debates and some great ideas and I became a real believer in what he was trying to do. And I got to play some games with my brother again. I got Best thing was I got to live in the same city, same area as my brother. We lived a little bit apart, two different villages. But I got to drive into training with him, room with him, play games with him, be there in the biggest moments. And, you know... I can't underestimate how important that is to 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 siblings and to you know professionals. When when you when you get to have moments like we had, you know, unfortunately not as many as a park in the park as we would like, but to be to be there at Stoke when we stayed up in that last game of the season to celebrate together, to enjoy the four three or four times that we played together on the field was was big for me, and I, I, I'm really proud that I got to do that. Just how good was James McCarthy? Because he was another player who came down from Scotland and was just an unbelievable talent. Brilliant. Brilliant player. Still is, in my opinion. I I, I really believe in, in James A. I think he's going to have a little renaissance here at the end of his career after some horrible injuries. 
playing at Palace before the break. He was looking really good again. But uh, just phenomenal talent. A guy who could... I sort of spanish type midfielder in the way that he kind of manipulated the ball and, and glided around the field and his size and, and and stature was obviously not huge but uh yeah a, a quiet guy did his talking on the field love spending time with him he's much younger than me but a brilliant guy good friend of mine and he, he obviously came for scottish football in hamilton and he came came another very very good player james MacArthur. Uh, and, and, and James took a bit longer to get used to it, but you see the player he became as well. And I think that they they came to the perfect club at the perfect time because they came to a, a club that would give them an opportunity and they had a manager in Roberto who would coach them and teach them, uh, which is what they needed at the time. They really needed coaching. And he did that. He took his time with them. He, he developed them. He didn't put them in too early. He waited till they were ready. And he developed them into the team. And they're both still playing in the Premier League. Probably got two, three hundred appearances each in the Premier League. So they're two of the greatest exports that have left Scotland in recent years and uh, great ambassadors for the game and, and our great country. What I'm interested to ask is, is about Martinez. Now, he's managing Belgium. They're the top-ranked international side in the world. I'm, I'm sure the answer will be no. Did did. Does his success surprise you at all? No, not at all. Um, great manager, really great tactician, like special, special when it comes to the tactics of the game and, and someone who thinks deeply about what will work. Uh, and so I'm not surprised. Uh, I think, you know, Wigan, obviously, what he was trying was, was really bold. And, and brave, but ultimately uh, he never had the talent to get that done. So then, when you think of him at somewhere like Belgium, Everton he did extremely well. I think that it went it went wrong for him at Wigan really quickly, and I, I think they made a decision that that they might regret a little bit. Although they've had some great managers, but I think they could have stuck with a bit a bit longer. But now he's at Belgium. He's got De Bruyne and Hazard and Lukaku and Alderweireld. Some of the the talent that he's got there. Very exciting. Again, I get back to the point, it's very hard to win and the margins are going to be really slim when it comes to these World Cups, Euros, big tournaments. But he's got the armoury there and he's got the nous to get it done. It's just whether they can get the luck in the moments that they need at the right times to, to win a trophy. But they're going to be very close next summer. After Wigan, you had the... The adventure of playing at Birmingham City, you first had Chris Hutton, and then in your second season, you have Lee Clark. Um, well, describe your time at Birmingham overall before you then move on, as we know, to the MLS. Incredible time at Birmingham. Uh, first season I got there, relegated they were. Um, a, a quick story about someone like Roberto Martinez. So he dropped me in Boxing Day at, at Wolves for my brother, which is a hard thing to go through. I played in the game before at Goodison Park, and we drew nil-nil. And I thought for sure I was going to start the next game. And he pulled me in a hotel and he said, you're not playing, I'm playing Gary. Um, I'm sorry, I just got a feeling that's what I'm doing. So no real explanation. And I was furious. And I looked at him and I said, this is a big game for us today. This is not a time for you and I to go through this. I'm behind the team. I'm here for you in any way you need me. You know, let me know, blah, blah, blah. And I was. it was a hard thing to say. And I wouldn't have said it if I was five, six years younger, but... 
I say that uh, because I was more experienced and I knew that the, the goal for the team was bigger. And then a few days later, he pulled me and he said, uh, what you did was remarkable. I've, you know, very few players would have had the maturity to do that. You will always be, you know, here with me, important to me, these kind of things. And, and so I just kind of, okay, he's just saying it, put it away. And when I, when I first spoke to Chris Hewton about going to uh, Birmingham City, sorry, after Wigan, he said to me, I'll never forget, I've heard Roberto Martinez on the phone. He tells me you're brilliant, that you're a great character, a reliable player, a great leader. I should make you captain. I should build my team around you. <laughs> and so I remember back to that discussion on Boxing Day and, and you know the other discussions that we had, the moments that Roberto and I had. And I thought, I'm so glad I hadn't like, threw my toys at the pram and, and been one of these sulkers that I'd been at earlier points in my career. But at this stage, you know, I was professional enough to do it right because he was the most, the biggest endorsement for me getting to Birmingham City. And the first year was amazing. I played in the Europa League. We got 10 points and went out of the group stage. You can believe it. We were brilliant. We played Maribor and Braga and Club Bruges. What a campaign. First time Birmingham had been in Europe for 50 years traveling to these cities, playing these games, exceptional, cruising along in the, the, the uh, championship, run out of steam at the end, but Chris was a great manager to play for. The first guy I played for that really built a team around protecting a back line, and so I looked great. I played with another fantastic partner, Curtis Davies, but we'd go one nil up, there'd be like 40 minutes to go, you'd be like, that's it, it's done. We're not, we're not losing, we'd get a one nil win. Uh, you know, and, and then he left for Norwich and then the second season I had Lee Clark and it was different. There was more volatility, there was less structure, there was confusion about what he really wanted because I think he was still a bit unsure about how to get the best. And so that was a tough year. And it kind of sickened me a little bit about, I was away from my family, I, I missed my kids. I was back and forward, but that became hard in the second year because my football wasn't as good and I wasn't winning as many games. And I got a bit sickened by English football and I felt like I was ready for a fresh challenge. And as we're going to get to, the fresh challenge was thousands of miles away and thankfully I was brave enough to, to take it. Before we move on to Toronto, two players I want to quickly ask you about from your time at Birmingham. Both of them are fullbacks, Stephen Carr and David Murphy. First of all, on Murphy, um, interviewed Rob Jones uh, recently, and he said, obviously they played together at Hibs, he said he's one of the most underrated players in the sense that, he, obviously up here in Scotland at Hibs, he's highly regarded, but he said, we were just stunned we had him for, for so long and got over 100 games out of him because he was top class. Top class, brilliant player, played alongside me a lot of games. I just used to, I played left side, just feed Murph. He had a one left foot, he'd play it wherever he wanted. So we had a great, great partnership in that left-hand side at Birmingham. We knew each other's game. We trusted each other. I'd go and attack things and Murph would, would mop it up. And obviously I'd, I'd, I'd cover him when he was high and, and up wide trying to create for us. So yeah, I, I, a brilliant player, a guy who is a good friend of mine. Love spending time with him and just a, a brilliant pro and a great guy. And then Stephen Carr, what was he like as a player as well? Stephen Carr was exceptional. He was one of the best fullbacks I ever played with. He had so much talent. Um, getting on a bit by the time I got there, unfortunately. So he was kind of in and out of the team a wee bit with injuries, but 
ridiculous, like way too good for the championship, <laughs> like so far ahead uh, uh, the level, you know, he had played for brilliant at Spurs and he had some good times at Newcastle, but he's picking up injuries and um, it's really no real fault of his own because he was a great professional and he, he worked so hard on his body and in the gym and, you know, it was, he, he didn't neglect his body, it just, it was his knee, I think it was, it just kept flaring up. There's not a lot he could do about it. Um, and a great guy, club captain, and another one that I, I leaned on and I learned from. And when he didn't play, I wore the armband more often than not. So that was that was a great honour. But uh, but Carrie was definitely club captain. I knew that. Everybody else knew that. And um, uh, you know, a brilliant brilliant leader in the dressing room. Your stateside adventure. In terms of the MLS, obviously based in Canada, although with Toronto, what was that like going there? And Ryan Nelson as well. I mean, Premier, another Premier League icon as a defender. Yeah, they, they wanted me to go immediately, and uh, I'd played forty-five games for Birmingham. I, like I said, she was a bit sick and feeling a bit, mm, I don't know. And I needed a break, and I wanted to go on vacation, holiday. Sorry, I'm getting too American these days. Holiday where where. Um, my kids, and I said, yeah, I'll come in July, and they said, that's not going to work, we need you next week, you know, kind of thing, and uh, and so I said to my agent, I just don't think this is going to work, he said, well, call Ryan Nelson and let him know yourself, you know, you like him, I played against Ryan and met him in refs rooms and that, because we were captains in a Blackburn Burnley derby, actually, but I never knew him, just say hello, play against him and stuff. So I call him up and, uh, uh, you know, very much with the intention of saying, I can come in July if you still want me, but, you know, thanks for the offer right now. It's not going to work. And he had convinced me in five minutes that <laughs> I needed to be there in three days. <laughs> so I came back through and I said, I have to go to Toronto. And, you know, everyone was confused. <laughs> okay. I said, I, there's someone telling me I need to go and I need to go now. So we adapted the holiday and I went to Toronto initially for eight weeks on loan. And the minute I got there, I just knew it was right. They needed me. They needed somebody like me. They needed a leader. They needed somebody who had kind of been there, done it, who still had an ambition to win and develop and this kind of stuff. And, and I met a guy in Ryan who's just fantastic, great fella. We were close. We spent time off the field. We were close yeah, I was starting to get closer to the coaches in age and kind of mindset so I was still a great captain within the dressing room and I would never share things with him that happened in the dressing room but I was sort of hanging about with Ryan and Duncan and Stuart and Jimmy the, the, the assistants and the head coach and Sundays and days off and that so it's kind of weird so I, I enjoyed it though because I sort of felt like I was a, a, a little bit of hybrid between a sort of coach and a player you know so it was what I needed at the time, and, and they shared a lot of things with me, and we, we, we managed that dressing room really well. Some brilliant guys in that dressing room. And so uh, Ryan's, Ryan's a guy who, who set me up for what I'm doing now. Uh, he made Toronto my home because he invited me to come here for his team, and he was strong on, you know, there was other people that were saying, I don't know if, a, you know, an aging Scottish centre-half said, right, signing, and Ryan was adamant adamant that I was a guy and then when the permanent deal came because I did well and some bigger names came into Toronto and other people saying okay this guy should be the captain Ryan was like uh -uh. Stephen Call was the captain he runs this dressing room and so he, he put his neck on the line for me and I'll never forget that 
Um, I've got so much respect for him. A great mind, a great football mind. I'm disappointed he's not coaching. He's at the game after that one experience. But um, I'm, I'm pleased that I got to spend that with him and learn from him and, and, and enjoy his company. One player that intrigues me about the MLS when you talk about Toronto during your time as well, Michael Bradley. Just what was he like as a player? Because he's someone I thought would have would have came to Europe and played here for an extended period. Yeah, he he had some great times in Europe, Michael, didn't he? You know, I, he never had a great time in the Premier League with Villa. Uh, it never quite worked. And I think he had the attributes to be good in the Premier League, but then he ended up having good spell in Italy, went to Roma, which is a huge club, and, you know, was a success at Roma? Was he, like, setting the hills on fire? Probably not, but Pjanic was there, and, like, when you're at a club like that, your competition's pretty strong. And then he made a, a personal decision to come back to MLS, and I think he felt starting a young family, he wanted to bring them up within North America, um, Toronto was a team that, that kind of went and put the money on the table. The money was life-changing. It was a six-year deal and millions and millions of dollars. Um, and I think he felt that, and he's been proven right, that he could come to Toronto and achieve success and that MLS was ripe to start growing at this point and he was going to be a big part of that growth. And so who can deny that that was the right decision? But I agree with you, if he had stayed in Europe, with Roma or went elsewhere, I think he could have been a success there. Um, he's a guy who who has great energy, great technique, uh, can do some things really well, and and as someone who has been brilliant for TFC as a leader and and obviously as a player and and helped him lift trophies, but um, but I think that he could have been a success wherever he was because of the attributes that he had. Another big name that comes over to Toronto is Jermaine Defoe, now at Rangers, as we know. Just just what was he like? Because he's goal machine in the Premier League, never mind MLS, where he, he lit it up as well. Yeah, he was brilliant, Jermaine. I, I, I loved spending time with Jermaine. It's, it's crazy how in football you have some preconceived ideas on people. And, you know, I, I, I just, I had no idea that I was going to enjoy Jermaine's company as much as I did. I just thought, he had this tabloid, you know, persona that was not him at all. Great guy, great teammate, great laugh, worked hard, loved spending time with him, uh, loved being his teammate. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just sorry it was for such a short period of time, but I don't begrudge him that. A lot of people here in Toronto are mad that Jermaine came and left because we get really territorial about our city and our sports here in Toronto. We feel people should love us and love us forever. But at the end of the day, people make decisions for their own family, their own good, their own careers. And I think Jermaine realised by coming to MLS that the things that he loved about English, British football was was not here. It might never be here. And so I think that I, I'm talking about things like, I think Jermaine thought he would go and it would be nice to go around the city and nobody really know who he was and, you know, enjoy the kind of, the lifestyle, but then I think that he missed that. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. I just think that he missed that that fervour, that fan base that you get in the, in the UK. And it's it's not here. It's maybe coming, but it's still a bit away. So he scored goals. He did well. 
But I think he realised he had some more to give back in the UK. He made the decision to go back, and I don't begrudge it at all. I think that he was magnificent at Sunderland. Not quite so great at Bournemouth. Never quite worked, but he's done done well at Rangers. Scored some goals, and there's talking a new deal from which shows you how well he looks after his body and how professional he is. The last question I've got before a round of quickfire. How do you reflect overall on your playing career and what are your ambitions for the future? You've been an assistant coach. Will we see you as a manager one day as well? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I love it. I, I love coaching. It's It's been great. It's a great opportunity I've been given by John Herman in Canada. Uh, it also allows me to do my other things that I'm interested in. So, you know, I'm still deciding. Well, I've never been given the opportunity to come in full time. And I've also, uh, I'm, I'm still deciding if, if that's the path that I want to go. But I, I feel like we don't have to rush into these decisions. I've, I've got my UFA license, so I'm qualified at some point. I'll probably do my pro license. And uh, I'm learning for John Herman. He's a great guy. And we've got a brilliant group of young players there. Um, with my career, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of my career. I, I think that I was a very limited player in terms of talent, but I think that I squeezed everything out of it. And, and I think I said that at the start, that's the only thing that you can really you can really do as a player. You can only maximise the potential that you have. And I think I did that for sure. Um, I think that I had some exceptional attributes as, as, a, as a player, as a captain. And I think that people respect that about me. I hope they do because it was very important to me. But um, yeah, like, I've no regrets. I, I achieved I achieved at a level that I was capable of playing it. I wished I got more caps, you know, but so be it. These things happen. I was I was part of some great times with Scotland as well. Um and so yeah, I look back, I look in the mirror, and I always used to say if I'm looking in the mirror at the end and and know that I gave everything, then I'll be happy. And I certainly gave everything that I had. Absolutely. And it's been a good I've really enjoyed this so far. And Thanks. I want to finish with quick fire and First one I ask everyone, best players you played with? Uh, Shearer, Solano, Wade Elliott. Uh, I guess Jermaine would come in there, yeah. Toughest direct opponent? Thierry Henry. Oh, no question. Answer. Ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous when he was at Arsenal. In the Invin- I played against the Invincibles. He scored four. They beat us 5-0 uh, with Leeds at Highbury. And he was just unplayable. Most underrated player you played with? Oh, probably Wade Elliott. I played with Burnley and at Birmingham City. He was a terrific player, Wade. He should have played more times in the Premier League. He was so smart. Could play off the left, could play... He was a winger when I first got there. Played centre mid, played number 10. Played right back. He was a brilliant player. I think he was underrated. We know you as being the captain, the leader, but who was your most inspirational captain from a time when you were playing and you weren't the captain? Uh, oh, great question. Who would that be? Um, probably Graham. Graham Alexander, uh, my teammate. So, yeah. And, and the sad thing is, I think I only played one or two games where I'd be sub and Graham would be captain for that game where he was my captain in a game. But, yeah, a great leader and, and a guy that just... He had so much respect for every player that played alongside him. In terms of managers, who would you say was the best manager for you in your career? Oh, these are brilliant questions. Uh, best manager for me, most enjoyable manager was Chris Hutton at Birmingham. The, the, the year at Birmingham, 
probably the best manager for development and, and, and toughening me up, Mick McCarthy. <laughs> in terms of the MLS, um, if you were to give us five players to look out for in the years to come, who would they be? Great one. Uh, five players. San Jose Earthquakes have a midfielder called Jackson Yule. Terrific player, deep midfield, can pass the ball, now playing with the US national team. So he's not really a... I mean, some guys will know him, but he, he could play in Europe. Uh, there's a lad at Philadelphia Union called Brendan Aronson, another midfielder, US guy. Um, a little bit like uh, James McCarthy, maybe a wee bit more creative, but quite slight, but really talented lad. Um, who else would we say? Um, there's some... There's TFC. I've got a young Canadian called Jacob uh, Schaffelberg. He's really talented, but probably the real exciting talent coming out of Toronto is a guy called Jaden Nelson, another wide guy. We, we had him in a January camp there. It was a young camp. We played some games against Barbados in, in Iceland. Did really well. Just came back for a U17 World Cup. He's one for the future for sure. Um, who else could we say? Five's hard. I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. But there's so many. There's, there's, there's some talent in the, the MLS. There really is. And these lads are, are coming through, you know, academies now that are more developed than ever, that are giving the, 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 their players a chance that, you know, there's a real homegrown element. We call it homegrown players here where, you know, you get benefits for putting these guys in the team cap benefits. And, and obviously international sports and that are not a concern. So, yeah, a lot's going on. They're, they're the three that I think stand out to me, for sure. Brilliant. And the last question I've got, you worked under some great managers in your career, as you mentioned. Um, if you could play for any current manager now, who would it be and why? Jurgen Klopp. Just seems like a guy. Easy thing to say. I love Pochettino. And obviously everybody would love to just see what happens with Pep day in, day out, week in, week out. But I think when you retire, you often think about the fun times. I think the most fun you would have would be with Jurgen Klopp. If things are going well with that guy, and I'm sure he's not fun and laughing the whole time, but when things are going well, I just feel like he's the most kind of human one of the lot, of the top, top men. And I think he's someone that would bring out the best in me and, and in any player that ever works under him. Bro, it's Stephen. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Callum. Pleasure, mate. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave